This is Agent Stone, and you're listening to X-Files Truth. What about the old woman in your dream? Who is she? Who's gonna come out? Look, if you don't start trusting someone, you don't stand a chance. Maybe she's trying to protect you now. Take me from what? That's a question only you can answer. Unfortunately, Lorraine can't get to the phone right now. The truth is out. Welcome back to X-Files Truth. Today's file is Avatar. X-File number, classified. The plot. FBI Assistant Director Walter Skinner is given divorce papers from his wife Sharon after 17 years of marriage. At a bar, he meets a woman named Karina Sales. The two engage in a one-night stand. However, afterward Skinner has a nightmare of an old woman in bed with him. He awakens to find Sales dead, her head twisted completely around. As the murder investigation unfolds, Skinner tells Fox Mulder not to get involved. He refuses to take a polygraph test and is viewed as a suspect. Scully examines Sales's corpse, finding a phosphorescent glow around her lips. Mulder finds out that Sales was a prostitute and interviews her madam, who claims that Skinner's credit card was collected the previous night. Skinner sees the old woman looking at him on a city street. However, when he pursues the old woman, he instead finds Sharon. The agents talk to Sharon, who says that the marriage failed because of Skinner's emotional distance. Scully learns that Skinner had been receiving treatment for a sleep disorder, in which he apparently had dreams about being suffocated in bed by an old woman. However, Mulder believes that Skinner may be having visions of a succubus, a female demon. Circular patch around the victim's mouth and nose, approximately 11 centimeters in diameter. It retained light energy. It glowed in the dark. I know what I saw, Mulder. It was here. This phosphorescence required no UV or infrared light? No, it was definitely visible to the naked eye. Did you get a sample? Yeah, I sent one over to Chemtarts. Well, my first hunch was that it was some kind of a fungal growth, but the only substance that they detected was amylase, which is found in saliva. So I had them send over a sample to the elemental analysis unit. The results should be back. Yes, this is Agent Dana Scully. I'm calling to find out the lab results on a tissue sample that I sent in earlier this morning. Thank you. What did they say? That there was no analyzable substance in the sample container. Are you sure you saw something? Mulder, I'm afraid this isn't exactly something that I'd make up. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why Skinner's running. He's afraid. That he did it? That he doesn't know he didn't do it. Sharon visits Skinner at his home. After she leaves, he falls asleep seeing the old woman again. He awakens as detectives enter the house, telling him Sharon has been run off the road and severely injured. 
Skinner admits to Mulder that he saw the woman during his experience in Vietnam, but passed it off as being due to drugs. It's revealed that the smoking man is observing their conversation through the one-way mirror at the interrogation room. What about the old woman in your dream? Who is she? It's going to come out. Look, if you don't start trusting someone, you don't stand a chance. A few months ago, I started seeing her again. Again? I told you once what what happened to me in Vietnam? I was caught in an ambush. Yeah, you were the sole survivor. You also described what sounded like a near-death experience. There was nothing near about it, Agent Mulder. I was a dead man. That's when you first saw her? I saw lots of things over there. I didn't give much credence to any of them. Why not? I got through that experience like most 18-year-olds. By numbing myself with whatever was around. I was no choir boy. I... I inhaled. So you just dismissed her as another hallucination? I tried. But you couldn't. She was there with me. Watching me. As I was watching myself dying, my blood spilling from a hundred different places. Until she lifted me up and carried me back. Away from the light. Well, maybe she was trying to protect you. Maybe she's trying to protect you now. Protect me from what? That's a question only you can answer. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Mulder investigates the airbag on Skinner's car, which was the one used to hit Sharon. Scully defends Skinner to the Office of Professional Responsibility, but it does no good and he is fired. Mulder believes that this was done to weaken the X-Files. Mulder, with the help of Agent Pendrel, finds a face imprint on the airbag, which is not Skinner's. He goes to see the prostitute's boss again, but discovers that she has been murdered. The agents hope to use Judy, an employee who saw the man who actually hired the prostitute, and use her to set up another meeting with him. They agree to meet at the Ambassador Hotel in an hour. Skinner goes to see his wife, telling her why he could not sign the divorce papers, and witnesses the old woman again as she awakens from the coma. Mulder waits in the hotel bar, while Scully guards Judy in a hotel room. The assassin enters the room to attack them, but is quickly killed by Skinner, who was there. The dead man's identity is unknown. Skinner returns to work, declining to say to Mulder how he knew to be at the hotel. Sir? Come here. This is a report. You'll see, though, that several questions remain unanswered. The identity of the man I shot? We ran his face and fingerprints through every available database. There's still no matches. 
and we're doing a dental record search, but that'll probably be a dead end, too. And regarding the other man, the telephone number that we had for him has been disconnected, and there's no record of an account. Don't waste your time, Agent Scully. You won't find him. Just get whatever forensic evidence you need off the body you have. Bury it. Is there a problem, Agent Mulder? Yeah, there's uh, something else you'll find missing in there. An explanation for how you knew to be at the hotel last night. I was hoping you could fill in that line item yourself. I'm afraid I can't do that, at least not at this point in time. Why not? Because whatever I believe may have happened has no place on an official report. Well, then why don't you just tell me? Off the record. If you'll excuse me, I have some catching up to do. The OPC did a number on my office. But I want to thank you for the quick turnaround on this. After Mulder leaves, Skinner reaches into the drawer and puts his wedding ring back on. Hand in your field report. And now for my field report for Avatar. Avatar is a good episode. Uh, sometimes I remember it being really good, and then other times when I did the rewatch this time, I expected it to be really good, and then it was, you know, it was good, but not great. So on Avatar, I kind of go up and down, but it's definitely a good episode. Uh, don't get me wrong. We got to see CSM just for a brief moment, so that's really cool. Kind of gives it the mythology feel, but it's definitely uh, Monster of the Week. Compared to other episodes, this is definitely, if you compare it to all the episodes in the X-Files, it's probably more like a 7, 7.5, something like that. You know, it's good, it's definitely passable, there's nothing wrong with it, no major issues or anything. Compared to all other of the Monster of the Weeks, it's probably more like an 8. It's still in that same range, though. But, you know, it's pretty cool that the X-Files always addresses these urban legends and things like that. Like, this one was, this one addresses that old hag syndrome, uh, where people see an old hag... Uh, at night, you know, kneeling on somebody's chest or, or pinning them down, that type of thing. So that's what I really love about the X-Files. They, they address almost every urban myth and legend. And so they addressed it here. They tied in Skinner. And it was, uh, pretty, it was pretty cool. We got to see uh, CSM. But nothing really blew me away. It was good, good to have some background on Skinner. And, you know, we see his wife. And we get a little bit more in-depth on Skinner. So it's just another piece of the puzzle as we go along. For the sequelizer, I would give it a high potential for a sequel. You could definitely continue on with this theme and uh, play that up. Skinner, the Skinner angle, or the... Um, you wouldn't have to keep going down the old hag syndrome there, but, um, you know, definitely Skinner's background in, uh, you know, the visions, all that. So definitely high potential in my book for a sequel. So that's all I can think of for Avatar. So now let's see what Agent Angela has to say down in the chem lab for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for Avatar. agents. I like the story of Walter Skinner that unfolds in Avatar. It shows much more of his human side that was only briefly hinted at in previous episodes. 
namely Dwayne Barry and Ascension. Skinner's not just the FBI superior who signs off on, and sometimes expresses protesting incredulity at, Mulder and Scully's investigations into the bazaar. He's a guy whose wife has filed for divorce, seemingly out of nowhere, and has caused his world to come off its axis. Like many people in this kind of stressful, life-changing situation, he does something that would normally go against his better judgments. The audience doesn't know at first that his one-night stand is actually a professional transaction. Though in any case, Karina Sales still ends up somehow dying of a broken neck, as Skinner has a frightening vision of the old woman, the same one he's been seeing ever since Vietnam. Mulder and Scully have their differences of opinion about what might have really happened, but they still pull together as a united partnership when it comes to helping their boss. They have the tough-to-deal-with possibility that Skinner might have committed a serious crime, but they believe they owe it to him to uncover the truth. I think one of the most important scenes between Mulder and Scully in this episode is the discussion they have in the car after questioning the escort service owner. We don't know very much about him. We don't know what he does off-duty, who he really is. We know that he's put his ass on the line for us a number of times. We owe it to him to find out what really happened. Even if it means proving his guilt? Scully has a couple of standout moments in this episode. She's noticeably empathetic towards Sharon Skinner, getting her to open up about the reason she filed for divorce. I like this little scene. Scully also doesn't do her characteristic dismissal of the mythological creature, in this case a succubus, when Mulder first brings it up. Many fans might expect her to say, give me a break Mulder, they don't exist, or something to that effect. But because of the unexplainable phosphorescent residue she found during the autopsy, she has to admit a first-hand encounter with weird evidence that science can't define or categorize. When Scully gets grilled at the hearing about Skinner, she's asked point-blank if she believes in paranormal phenomena. She doesn't jump in with an immediate no, but instead, she acknowledges that the extreme cases are there and that she's always viewed them with a scientific eye. She also acknowledges the mutual respect for the work that exists between her, Skinner, and Mulder. I think the most moving scene in this episode is when Skinner visits Sharon in the hospital after her car accident. Some of the things I've seen. The violence and the lies that I've witnessed men inflict on one another. I could never tell you that. Not that I ever stopped believing in the work. But there were contradictions that I... I couldn't reconcile, which meant shutting down part of myself just to do my job. We don't see for sure if Sharon makes a full recovery after the hospital machines start beeping and she wakes up. But Skinner puts his wedding ring back on in the very ending scene, so I'd say it would be safe to assume she does. Now, I know there have been fans over the years who have shipped Skinner and Scully, which doesn't bother me. I've just personally never seen it that way, but to each their own. From this episode itself, aside from what happens with Skinner in future episodes, now I almost ship Walter and Sharon Skinner from rewatching it. I hope things work out for them, and I hope their marriage gets better. Until next time, this is Agent Angela.
counterintelligence. Inside information. This is Agent Stone with counterintelligence with X three dot twenty one Avatar. Original air date April twenty six nineteen ninety six. Written by Howard Gordon. Directed by James Charleston. Whatever I believe may have happened, that has no place in an official report. Scully learns that Skinner had been receiving treatment for a sleep disorder in which he apparently had dreams about being suffocated in bed by an old woman. She fears that Skinner may have unwittingly killed Sales in his sleep. However, Mulder believes that Skinner may be having visions of a succubus, a female demon. Mythological spirits known to visit men in the night, sometimes killing other women out of jealousy. A succubus is a female demon or supernatural entity in folklore, traced back to medieval legend, that appears in dreams and takes the form of a human woman in order to seduce men, usually through sexual activity. The male counterpart is the incubus. Religious traditions hold that repeated sexual activity with a succubus may result in the deterioration of health or even death. In modern fictional representations, a succubus may or may not appear in dreams and is often depicted as a highly attractive seductress or enchantress, whereas in the past, succubi were generally depicted as frightening and demonic. The word is derived from late Latin succuba, paramour, from succube, to lie under, and is used to describe the supernatural being as well. The word is first attested from 1387. According to Zohar and the alphabet of Bin Sira, Lilith was Adam's first wife who later became a succubus. She left Adam and refused to return to the Garden of Eden after she mated with Archangel Samuel. In Zoharistic Kabbalah, there were four succubi who mated with the Archangel Samuel. There were four original queens of the demons. Lilith, Mahalath, Agrit Bat Malat, and Nama. A succubus may take a form of a beautiful young girl, but closer inspection may reveal deformities upon their bodies such as bird-like claws or serpentine tails. Folklore also describes the act of sexually penetrating a succubus as akin to entering a cavern of ice, and there are reports of succubi forcing men to perform cunnilingus on their vulvas that drip with urine and other fluids. In later folklore, a succubus took the form of a siren. Throughout history, priests and rabbis tried to curb the power of succubi over humans. However, not all succubi were malevolent. According to Walter Mapes, Pope Sylvester II was involved with the succubus named Meridiana, who helped him achieve his high rank in the Catholic Church. Before his death, he confessed of his sins and died repentant. In the field of medicine, there is some belief that the stories relating to encounters with succubi bear similar resemblance to the contemporary phenomenon of people reporting alien abductions which has been ascribed to the condition as sleep paralysis. It is therefore suggested that historical accounts of people experiencing encounters with succubi may rather have been symptoms of sleep paralysis, with the hallucination of the said creatures coming from their contemporary culture. Medieval demonologists and their counterparts, angelologists, had as many categories for supernatural beings as modern taxonomists have for insects or fish. Among them were succubi and incubi. 
A succubus was a lovely young woman who appeared to men in their sleep and seduced them. While such a visitation today might be considered downright desirable, in the Middle Ages it was considered an occasion for damnation and regarded with fear and horror. However, such visits were regarded the succubus were always depicted as young and beautiful. Scully is prompted to mention phosphorescence. Phosphorescence is a specific type of photoluminescence related to fluorescence. Unlike fluorescence, a phosphorescent material does not immediately re-emit the radiation it absorbs. The slower timescales of the re-emission are associated with forbidden energy state transitions in quantum mechanics. As these transitions occur very slowly in certain materials, absorbed radiation may be re-emitted at a lower intensity for up to several hours after the original excitation. Commonly seen examples of phosphorescent materials are the -the glow-in-the-dark toys, paint, and clock dials that glow for some time after being charged with a bright light such as in any normal reading or room light. Typically, the glowing then slowly fades out within minutes or up to a few hours in a dark room. The study of phosphorescent materials led to the discovery of radioactivity in 1896. Ironically, white phosphorus, from which phosphorescence takes its name, does not actually exhibit this property, but rather chemiluminescence. In simple terms, phosphorescence is a process in which energy absorbed by a substance is released relatively slowly in the form of light. This is in some cases the mechanism used for glow-in-the-dark materials which are charged by exposure to light. Unlike the relatively swift reactions in a common fluorescent tube, Phosphorescent materials used for these materials absorb the energy and store it for a longer time as the processes required to re-emit the light occurs less often. Most photoluminescent events in which a chemical substrate absorbs and then re-emits a photon of light are fast on the order of 10 nanoseconds. Light is absorbed and admitted at these fast timescales in cases where the energy of the photons involved matches the available energy states and allowed transitions of the substrate. In the special case of phosphorescence, the absorbed photon energy undergoes an unusual inter-system crossing into an energy state of higher spin multiplicity, usually a triple state. As a result, the energy can become trapped in the triplet state with only classically forbidden transitions available to the return to the lower energy state. These transitions, although forbidden, will still occur in quantum mechanics but are kinetically unfavored and thus progress at significantly slower timescales. Most phosphorescent compounds are still relatively fast emitters with triplet lifetimes on the order of milliseconds. However, some compounds have triplet lifetimes up to minutes or even hours, allowing these substances to effectively store light energy in the form of very slowly degrading excited electron states. If the phosphorescent quantum yield is high, these substances will release significant amounts of light over long timescales, creating so-called glow-in-the-dark materials. Avatar is a Sanskrit word meaning the human incarnation of a deity. But as for now, I'd say this case is closed. So the final word on Avatar, I was no choir boy, I inhaled.
going on out there? What's out there for Avatar? According to this review on avclub.com, this episode gets a B-plus rating. It says, Avatar is another very good episode of The X-Files that takes a step up to another level because of its embrace of a personal narrative. This is the story of how Walter Skinner came unhinged, but it's also the story of how Vietnam made him a different man, and it's the story of how his marriage fell apart, then came back together at the last possible moment. It was the episode where the show realized it could toss off tales to characters who weren't Mulder or Scully, and mostly make them entertaining. Avatar was an experiment. The next Skinner-centric episode would be one of the series' best, and the show would go on to do episodes centered on the lone gunman, the cigarette-smoking man, and a former X-Files investigator. It certainly helps that the central story of Avatar is one that's easy to develop some level of emotional investment in almost immediately. The show chose well in having its first extracurricular story be about Skinner, simply because he was the character at that point with the closest direct connection to Mulder and Scully. There's a fair deal of Mulder and Scully in the episode, but the storyline is as much about Skinner trying to deal with the fallout from his crumbling marriage as it is anything else. In true X-Files fashion, it turns out that Skinner has been seeing an apparition of an old woman most of his life, and she pops up again when he's having sex with a prostitute he claims not to remember hiring and says he just ran into her in a bar. Then, of course, she turns up dead in his bed. Mulder quickly determines the old woman may be a succubus, and Scully seems almost fine with this theory, given the weird phosphorescence she finds on the corpse's lips. Her atypical behavior is driven by the weirdness of the situation, to be sure, but it's also driven by the fact she's desperate to save her boss. The sudden appearance of this old woman feels like a bit of an out-of-nowhere concept, primarily because it is exactly such a thing. We've been given no occasion to speculate that Skinner had such an affliction in the past. And even though the show does a mostly elegant job of writing around it, he figured she was a drug-induced hallucination in Vietnam, it still feels curious to have it come out of nowhere like this. The story of Skinner's marriage falling apart, with his wife tumbling into a coma and then recovering all within the episode, feels surprisingly like something out of 30-something, wandering in and taking over the X-Files for an hour of its time. That it works is, again, testament to Pelleggi, but also testament to how subtle and nuanced the writing of these scenes is. In the end, what makes Avatar work is just how pleasantly low-key it is. It could be a grand hour of Skinner flashbacks to Vietnam, and the slow dissolution of his marriage. But it makes the choice to tell the story all in real time. To trust that many of the big emotional moments can be put over entirely by Pelleggi delivering a monologue about that near-death experience, or how he's come to miss his wife. The show would turn out a better Skinner episode later, and its experiments with episodes centered on other characters would also bear more fruit. But Avatar is a fascinating experiment nonetheless, and it remains a very good episode of the show. I like how this review points out the simplicity of the episode's writing, and how if it were done today, a lot more material would have probably been crammed in, and probably ended up muddying the waters to some degree. Instead, the story reveals much more about Skinner than the audience previously knew, without it feeling too forced. We also get to see just how much of a working relationship Skinner has built up with Mulder and Scully, one that'll be very important later on. 
Up next, we have a special feature on the History of X-Files podcasts. It was written by one of our XFT alums, Agent Summer, and it's posted on My Truth and X-Files blog. Here are the highlights. Quote, Recently, I've discovered a few new and promising shows. Because of it, I thought it might be a good time to look back at the pioneers in X-Files podcasting, many of whom have disappeared from existence and new podcasts who have come on board with great promise of continuing the great tradition of those that came before. My list is rather subjective to those I've experienced firsthand. If there are others out there which have been missed, I offer up my apologies in advance. The first X-Files podcast, to my knowledge, was created by Incognitus and called X-File on X-Files. The podcast first aired on April 24th, 2008, and ended its run on January 5, 2011. After finishing coverage of each of the seasons, Incognitus continued with a series of character profiles, news on David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson's projects, and fan chats. Her two-part series on Monica Reyes featured Agent Summer. Sadly, the website and downloadable shows have disappeared from both iTunes and from the Internet, only those of us who were lucky enough to download and save the recordings still have access to these interesting sessions. On August 21st, 2008, another X-Files podcast began. Called Reopening the X-Files, the new show was hosted by Agent Donald with a decidedly different slant in format. Covering only one episode per podcast, Donald was able to offer greater details on each of the episodes of the show. In addition to giving a nice overview of the episodes, the podcast included also featured different segments such as emails from listeners, in-depth behind-the-scenes info, and reports submitted from other agents, such as Agent Shadow and Prescott. The last reopening of the X-Files came out on February 10, 2012, and unfortunately over time, the website and recordings on iTunes have disappeared from existence. They do have a Twitter feed, but it remains fairly inactive. If you're searching for something a little different, you may want to check out the XFN studio at xfilesnews.com. Instead of reviewing episodes of the show, this podcast is associated with the X-Files News website, which brings the latest information about those associated with the show. They feature interviews with notable fans from around the world, such as the founder of the Aussie Fans Group, Sandy Hicks, and writer Erica Fraga, author of the LA X-Files. The show also chats with writers and producers, including Howard Gordon, Vince Gilligan, and Frank Spotnitz, to name a few. The XFN studio began podcasting on October 13, 2009, recording a total of 12 podcasts until February 2012. Although no new episodes have been produced since that time, the podcast is still available on iTunes. The Explodey Files, which is part of the Dead Lantern Podcast Network, started its run on March 9, 2010. Hosted by Explodey Joe, the podcast tries to release weekly, but it can be rather sporadic. Unfortunately, there is not a straight feed for this podcast on iTunes, but they can be found among the Dead Lantern Podcast Network shows. Subscribing will pull all the network's shows into your queue. They are still actively podcasting and are now reviewing the fourth season of The X-Files. If you'd like to check it out for yourself, find them on Facebook and Twitter, check out their website, and listen on iTunes. Prior to 2011, X-Files podcasts were released infrequently, often depending on the schedule of the host. 
That all changed on January 8, 2011, when The X-Files Truth launched their first official review of the pilot episode. Although the podcast released a few promos and teasers prior to this date, this was the first official podcast by the collaborative X-Files Truth agents. Deemed as a podcast for hardcore fans, the episodes opened with Agent Shadow giving a detailed look at the episode, followed by a report by his then-co-host, Agent Chelsea, with her take on the shipper moments between Mulder and Scully. Additional reports featured other reviews of The X-Files from blogs and podcasts, character profiles, details about the topics in each episode, website features, and X-Files current events with Agents Stone and Summer assisting with several of the topics. Over time, a few of the segments have changed. Agent M voiced a few of the segments for a time, but has now shifted to work behind the scenes. The podcast also moved from a bi-weekly time frame to a monthly one. End quote. I'm going to add in a little more recent XFT background here. Plus, talking about myself, Agent Angela, in the third person, feels a bit awkward. In August of 2013, Agent Chelsea needed to leave X-Files Truth, and I was recruited by Agent Shadow as the new female voice of XFT. The shipper segment is still going strong, along with some Mulder and Scully character studies when I don't have any true shipper moments to talk about. Much of the X-Files current events and actor projects have moved onto our social media pages, which are updated daily, sometimes several times a day, with news, trivia, and other fun X-Files material. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter to keep up with all the latest. Agents Shadow, Stone, M, and myself have also started doing live call-in spots on other podcasts, such as the Inhale Exhale show on Blog Talk Radio, with at least a couple more planned for the near future. Stay tuned. The four of us current collaborating agents intend to keep this podcast going till the very end. None of it would be possible without our listeners, and we truly appreciate each and every one of you. Okay, back to the rest of the X-Files podcast's history. Quote, A new format of podcasts began on October 13, 2012, when Intro to X, This Podcast is Out There, premiered. Instead of a segment or host-driven show, the show features a group of friends and fans of the show who talk about the episodes. The group seems to enjoy having a lot of fun together with lively discussions among what appears to be a diverse group of fans, ranging from newcomers to seasoned files. For those who might be easily offended, the conversation does contain a few expletives from time to time. In general, the podcast seems to last a lengthy two hours, and with this group discussion format, it converged slightly off-topic at times. The group also listens to reviews by listeners, often laughing along with humorous points made, doesn't have a problem offering different opinions of the episode, and offers an amusing rating system based on things from the episode. You can listen and check them out on their website. I also discovered another new podcast from the Bureau 42 X-Files Retrospective, hosted by W. Blaine Dower. The podcast premiered on September 10, 2013, and appears to be released with a no-set time frame. Each podcast episode features an overview of each episode with frequent discussion of production for a unique and fascinating topic which is often overlooked. Episodes vary greatly in length, with the first few lasting approximately 30 minutes. But more recent episodes are shorter, lasting as long as just 6 minutes, lacking the full depth of the previous releases. For those with limited listening time, 
This could be a real plus to still get your X-Files fixed in a relatively short time frame. Still actively podcasting, the show is midway through the first season as this blog comes out. You can listen on iTunes. You can also learn more at their blog-style website and follow the host on Facebook. Offering a similar party atmosphere is a recent addition to the X-Files podcast world. Starting on May 19th, 2014, the Hey Remember the X-Files podcast has a similar discussion format as This Podcast is Out There. With a group of friends drinking and discussing the show, the fun atmosphere of the show at an hour or less in length is certainly worth a listen. Find them at iTunes, check out their website, and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Another recent addition is The X-Files Files, hosted by actor and comedian Kumail Nanijani. I am really sorry if I butcher that. The podcast premiered on June 4th, 2014, and features the host engaged in discussion about an episode of the show with a guest. The podcast to date has been released weekly, but with only two episodes available, we can only wait to see if this pattern continues. So far, the discussion has been quite engaging and reminds fans why they love the show so much. Unfortunately, the podcast will be an abbreviated index of the X-Files, as the host has revealed he will only be covering the episodes which he considers the better ones, or which add something to the series as a whole. Check out his website, follow on Twitter, and listen on iTunes. As an X-Files community, we need to support the podcast to ensure they don't fade away like the earlier shows. Podcasts take time and energy to produce. Please listen and send emails with questions and words of encouragement. It's often the only payment the hosts receive for their efforts. Thank you, Agent Summer, for this very informative and cool history of past and current X-Files podcasts. I do concur that podcasting takes a good deal of time, planning, and energy. To me, it's worth every single minute to put out a podcast that other X-Files fans enjoy. If any of you would like to check them out for yourselves, this blog post contains links to every podcast's iTunes feed, website, and social media pages. Look for the link to this complete post on our Avatar show notes page on xfilestruth.com. Character profiles. But these aren't humans, Scully. Profiles in character. From the look of it, I'd say they were alien. This week's profile Assistant Director Walter Skinner, Season 3. Skinner's role and on screen presence increased greatly and prominently over the course of Season 3. Over time, Skinner proved his loyalty to Mulder and Scully as well as their work. He first demonstrated this by going against the cigarette smoking man and trying to use a digital tape Mulder had received from The Thinker as leverage to get Mulder and Scully reinstated. He even promised that, if they didn't honor that deal, he would risk his life by going state's evidence and testifying against them. Unfortunately, Krychek beat up Skinner and stole the tape. 
However, Skinner pulled a master stroke and told the cigarette-smoking man that Albert Hostein had memorized everything on the tape, and in the ancient oral tradition of his people had shared it with twenty other men. If anything happened to Mulder or Scully, he was prepared to recite everything in the files, and unless CSM wanted to kill every Navajo living in four states, he must reinstate Mulder and Scully. There were times when Skinner was unable to help Mulder. When Mulder was investigating the case of the alien autopsy in Allentown, Skinner told him that he was on his own. He also warned him that the case was bigger than either of them or the FBI, and that Mulder should exploit any other sources he had. However, Skinner always had Mulder's safety at heart. When Mulder became too involved in a case involving gargoyles that John Mostow claimed had possessed him, Skinner told Scully he was as concerned as she was about Mulder's increasingly erratic behavior. In 1996, Skinner had to tell Scully the investigation into the death of her sister, Melissa, had been made inactive. Though Scully was angry and upset about this, Skinner told her he would appeal the decision and study the evidence himself. Later, Skinner was warned by three MIBs that he should be aware that, as an employee of the FBI, he, like those under him, was supposed to obey orders and asked if those above him had decided there was nothing more to pursue in Melissa Scully's case, who he was to question that decision. Skinner, however, did not relent, and he was shot by Luis Cardinal, the same man who had killed Melissa Scully. Since Skinner survived the shooting, another attempt on his life was made by Cardinal when Skinner was being transferred to another hospital, though this attempt and Cardinal himself were thwarted by Scully. Skinner's actions, having risked his life and job to help Scully in her pursuit of her sister's killer, were met with gratitude from Mulder. On a day when Skinner was asked yet again to sign his divorce papers, he went for a drink after work and ended up in bed with someone who turned out to be a prostitute. While he was having sex with her, he hallucinated that an old woman with long gray hair was on top of him. Later, he woke to find the prostitute dead. Skinner continued to have sightings of the old woman, and his wife Sharon was attacked by men who seemed to be setting Skinner up. He told Mulder about how the gray-haired woman had stayed with him while he was floating in the jungle in Vietnam, that she had carried him back away from the light, and Mulder surmised that maybe the gray-haired woman was trying to protect Skinner. Skinner played a more active role than usual in both The Blessing Way and Paperclip. In particular, the episode The Blessing Way allowed the writers to give Skinner more activity than previously without necessarily altering his fundamental role in the series. Regarding Paperclip, Pelegi was especially fond of the line of dialogue in which Skinner tells a cigarette-smoking man to pucker up and kiss my ass. This scene was often shown prior to introducing the actor at conventions, where it tended to draw enormous applause from attending fans. As noted by Frank Spotnitz, the writers had Skinner absent for most of the early part of the third season, after Paperclip, but he is then suddenly in practically every episode. According to director Kim Manners, the scene near the end of Apocrypha in which Skinner visits Mulder's Basement X-Files office was reshot by Manners. Skinner, in the originally filmed version of this scene, was rather friendly with Mulder, but upon viewing the scene, Chris Carter thought the characters were too buddy-buddy and that Skinner's relationship with Mulder should, at all times, be on a business level. Upon being asked by Manners to confirm whether this happened, Carter was unable to remember if it had, but commented that it sounded like something he would be concerned about. Mitch Pelegi was not particularly thrilled about Skinner being beat up by this little woman, 
A scrawny little researcher, both descriptions referring to the character of Holly in the episode Pusher, especially not after Skinner had been brutalized so often beforehand. The actor was admittedly becoming uncomfortable with the many beatings that his character had been receiving at that point in the series, and thought that this reaction was also true of the series' fans. A similar observation regarding the frequency of beatings taken by Skinner was made by writer Vince Gilligan, who wryly noted that if the frequency and variations and usages of character appearances from episode to episode worked out better, the writers should not have had Skinner taking an ass-kicking in practically three consecutive episodes. The suggestion of showcasing Skinner an episode, an idea that would be the inspiration for Avatar, was made by David Duchovny, who conceived the idea in the hope that such an episode would give him less scenes and might consequently allow him a break from filming. The final version of the episode actually made frequent use of Duchovny's character of Mulder, however, much to his dismay. Ultimately, the actor nevertheless thought that Mitch Pileggi, and also the, therefore the character of Skinner, had deserved a nice episode after two years and was pleased with Pileggi's performance as Skinner in the episode. Duchovny and the X-Files publicist intruded on what was intended to be a closed set to watch the filming of the scene from Avatar in which Skinner has sex with Karina Sales. Duchovny also gave a little critiquing of this scene. The scene itself entailed Pelegi and guest actress Demanda Tapping simulating sex for four or five hours while simultaneously surrounded by crew members trying to light, frame, and photograph the shot. Avatar was aired during a time when Skinner's popularity was increasing. Mitch Pelegi thought the episode helped to re-establish some of the ground rules regarding Skinner's position in relation to the X-Files unit and how far the character would go in fulfilling the unit's mission, noting that Skinner, in the course of the episode, does not accept a helping hand from Mulder, even though the latter character offers it, and that Chris Carter did not want to just put Skinner totally into bed with the pair of agents assigned to the X-Files. Skinner's inclusion in Talitha Kumai was originally suggested by Frank Spotnitz, who mentioned, while boarding the episode with Chris Carter, that he thought the character seemed like he fitted at some point into the story. By Wednesday, March 20th, 1996, the boarding of this episode was almost complete and included a scene in which Skinner was accosted by an angry Mulder, plotted out into two new index cards, Mulder goes to Skinner, where's CSM, who is he, and Scully pulls Mulder off Skinner, suspect turned himself in. X-Files News Update. Hi everyone, Agent Angela here. In the past few weeks, as of this recording, some reports of a possible future X-Files reboot have come out. The information is pretty broad, and so far, nothing definite has been pinned down. I'm going to give you the gist of what's come out of the media about it tell you what I'd like to see as an X-Files reboot, and share what some of our very awesome listeners have written into us about it. According to a July 25th article published on the Den of Geek website, the X-Files creator Chris Carter has been in talks with Fox about rebooting the X-Files. 
Chris Carter has had conversations with the heads of 20th Century Fox about a possible reboot of The X-Files, he confirmed to Vulture this week. What the tenor of those conversations was, Carter didn't elaborate, but that didn't stop us from pondering the matter. After batting away talk of the lawsuits both he and David Duchovny brought against Fox, the X-Files creator spoke of how he and Fox TV CEO Dana Walden go way back, confirming, quote, She and I have talked a lot about this. Is that a way of saying a reboot is happening? asked Vulture. That's just a way of saying there certainly have been conversations, Carter replied. So why hasn't it happened? Vulture pressed him. I would assume nothing were Carter's final words on the matter. Now, I believe whatever form the X-Files reboot would take, it's absolutely, a thousand percent, got to have David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson as Mulder and Scully back in the main roles. I just don't think anything else would work, and casting otherwise almost seems like a sacrilege to me, like stomping on hallowed ground, so to speak. I'd even venture to say a reboot with other actors playing Mulder and Scully would be pretty much dead in the water. At least with the diehard fans who have been around so long and are still crazy after all these years. About the X-Files, of course. I really don't think that a reboot with other actors playing some other main characters would fare much better. And I've spent time imagining the possible uproar of biblical proportions that would take place among the X-Files fans if that were to happen. The second thing I want to see is a reboot. The mythology. I think it's been enough years of waiting for all things to be revealed and for the mythos to be wrapped up. I want to see whatever comes of the alien invasion that was projected to happen in The Truth. I want to see the ultimate fate of everyone involved, both heroes and villains, humans and extraterrestrials, whether the invasion gets thwarted or something else happens. I think this would be a great reboot as a TV miniseries. Exactly how many parts it would need, well, that's up to Chris Carter and the writers to determine. I'm not alone in many of these opinions. Many of our listeners have expressed similar ones. Going through the comments, I'm really going to try not to mess up anyone's name. Apologies in advance if I do. But here goes. Heather Knichtel commented on our Facebook page. Oh boy, I'm usually pretty good at accepting new people playing characters I loved, but I don't know. Mulder and Scully without David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson seems sacrilegious. Heather also says in another comment, And though I am intrigued by continuing with the torch past to new characters, I also question whether it would be worth it. The Mulder and Scully X-Files is so singularly special, and can we really trust any network to make an X-Files show that isn't vanilla crap with the X-Files name on it? I just don't know. I trust Chris Carter, but not Hollywood. Some things are better left alone. They can't use the alternate universe trick like Abrams did for Star Trek, you know? Megan Miller also writes on Facebook, I would be satisfied with anything as long as Mulder and Scully, therefore Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny, are a part of it. The show is about Mulder and Scully at its core, and to introduce new characters, I think, wouldn't attract any viewers at all. I mean, look what happened in Season 9. I think what would work best is either a third movie or a miniseries that reveals the outcome of the alien invasion, gives Mulder and Scully some closure, etc. Perhaps an entire reboot is too much, but I would love to see what happens to the two very best characters ever. Wei San Lu writes, I'm somewhere in the middle in my thoughts on this. 
Yes, I want the X-Files in a form of X-Files 3. No, I don't want a reboot. Have never been a fan of reboots. V was horrible. If Chris Carter can do some sort of movie, X-Files 3, to start a new series so as to pass on the torch, so to speak, then maybe. I'm open to one, but like Megan Miller said, it has to have Mulder and Scully as the core characters. Otherwise, I won't be happy. Hence the last two seasons of The X-Files, seasons 8 and 9. Also, Joseph Philip Ryan writes on our Facebook page, If they at Fox do not let the originals have another chance, I'm not interested in giving the reboot, remake, a chance. I'm not bitter or upset. I'm too old and occupied with other things in life to fight for TV shows, even my favorite ones like this one. But I think Fox has its collective head up a very dark and stupid place. But, que sera, sera. I'll just get off the bus when it's my stop. I'd love to see the originals give a big bang exit. The original Star Trek did this. There were a couple of flops, but Paramount had the sense to let them go out on a high note and call it a wrap. I'd respect a continuation more than a reboot, even if it leads to new characters and a new style. And finally, Adriana Co-Kemper writes, At this point, it would be best to just come out with a third X-Files movie, or even a few new special episodes. I think the X-Files could be rebooted in the future, but right now, it seems awfully soon. Thanks to everyone for taking the time to share your thoughts with us, and all of you bring up some valid points. I can't help but wonder, if the X-Files were rebooted without David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, and with Mulder and Scully recast, would it even have enough fan support or interest to be worth making? I think it's pretty safe to say. The majority of the X-Files fandom is hoping we don't have to find that out. If you still want to jump into the discussion, you're very welcome. Head on over to the X-Files Truth Podcast Facebook page. More discussion continues over on Twitter. Dana Hunt at Gabriel's Prophet tweets, About the idea of an X-Files reboot with a different cast, quote, They should leave it the hell alone. It would be a slap in the face to the original cast. She also says it was a unique show at the time, and there was nothing like it. The cast was fresh, ships were hinted at, but never came out. It was like Carter liked to tease us and let the X-Files decide. What angers me about a reboot is they will make Scully a bimbo and take away the strong, intelligent, independent female character we love. Ugh, yeah, with you on that one. I don't even want to picture that. Melissa at MySourceEssay85 tweets, Unless it stars David and Jillian, it's not the X-Files. Didn't they learn that in the last few seasons? I mean, I like Doggett and Reyes, but it just wasn't the same. Well, I say there you have it, 20th Century Fox. One of the most passionate and vocal fandoms ever is speaking out. If anyone else would like to jump into the discussion, be sure to follow us on Twitter at X-Files underscore truth. As far as what may ever come as an X-Files reboot, only more time will tell at this point. To quote Agent Mulder, there's so much more than this. There has to be an end. Walking through a dream, I see you. 
My light in darkness, breathing hope of new life. Now I live through you, and you through me, enchanting. Have you checked your email? I found these in my email this morning. And now the female with the emails, Agent Angela. First up, we have an email from Agent Heather K. Hello, X-Files Truth Agents. I have just recently discovered your podcast and want to say keep up the good work. I am thoroughly enjoying following along with your podcast as I am embarking on yet another rewatch. Good times. One of the nerdy things I enjoy doing is making playlists of music to go along with my favorite shows, movies, characters, etc. I wanted to share with you and fellow listeners my X-Files playlist. Well, it's more of a Mulder and Scully playlist, but I'm sure no one will object to that subtle nuance. I would be interested to find out what songs you guys and other files would include if you were to make an X-Files slash Mulder and Scully playlist of your own. Anyway... Thanks again for making a great podcast and doing your part to keep the fandom going. Best, Agent HK. Thanks for writing to us, Agent Heather. I'm really glad to hear you're enjoying XFT from the beginning. I emailed you a reply, but I'll add a little bit more to that here. We've definitely got that in common with the music pairings. Ever since I first started listening, and then later after I joined the podcast, I've been pairing together X-Files episodes with songs I think fit with the particular episode in some way whether they fit with the title, the characters, the storyline, or some combination of those. Agent Shadow picks a lot of the music to use in each podcast episode, but I'll send him those song suggestions when I think of them. Without giving away too many podcast spoilers, a few I've picked include Planets of the Universe by Stevie Nicks, which appeared on the Syzygy episode, and for future episodes, Paper Heart by St. Lucia for Paper Hearts, Shoot to Thrill by ACDC for First Person Shooter, and hopefully Mulder and Scully shippers will get a kick out of this one, Devil Woman by Cliff Richard for Sixth Extinction, that of course being directed at Diana Fowley. That being said, none of these choices for future episodes are set in stone. We might run across some songs we like better as those episodes draw closer. And we're always open to listener song suggestions too. So if any of you have any of those, you're more than welcome to email us, tweet us, or Facebook us with them at any time. I'm also looking forward to hearing the other agents' choices for an X-Files-inspired music playlist. What would you three include on one of those? I'll add a link to Agent Heather's blog post on our show notes page, so the rest of you can check out her playlist choices, too. Oh yeah, one more related thing. I recently came across a site called 8tracks.com that lets you create your own playlists out of music you already own or you can pick it from their music library. I just signed up, but haven't made any X-Files playlists yet. It's on my to-do list. I've been checking out others' playlists on there, both X-Files and non-X-Files related. A lot are really cool and creative, so there's a little promotion for 8-Tracks if you guys want to check that out. And if you create an X-Files playlist, we'd love to hear it, so feel free to share it with us. Up next, we have a short 5-star iTunes review from username DRKRLM, which I'm going to take a guess stands for Dark Realm. Pretty cool. It says, Very unique show. X Files fans will love this. Aw, thank you. If you love X Files Truth, you can always leave us a short review at iTunes like this. 
Other ways you can get in touch with us are on the X-Files Truth podcast Facebook page, on Twitter at X-Files Truth, and on our website, xfilestruth.com. You can also email us at xfilestruth at live.com. Thanks again to everyone who's taken the time to leave us such great feedback. Until next time, the truth is still out there, people. Go find it. time on X-Files Truth, when a series of mysterious deaths and disappearances occur near a small town lake in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains, agents Mulder and Scully investigate reports of a legendary prehistoric aquatic serpent in the mode of the Loch Ness Monster. Closes the file on Avatar. Remember to stop by xfilestruth.com for specials that sometimes aren't released on the regular release schedule. Some specials we do just show up on the website, so we have a couple over there, so check that out. And again, special thanks to everyone who leaves reviews at iTunes because that really does help us the most. Well, here's to hoping that there's going to be another X Files movie and hopefully another reboot of the X-Files themselves that would be excellent also check the website for the songs that we use for today's podcast to see how they tie into the show and the content that's everything for Avatar we'll see you guys next month for Quagmire Did you like that one, puppies? I made this. 20th Century Fox.